We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and we are here with our 2023, 2022-2023 wrap-up. 19 weeks... 4,140 hours of game clock, 20 hours of podcasting, and a whole lot of Montucky has brought us right here. The end of the season for the AFC East Roundup podcast. It's weird thinking how fast this year went by, isn't it? Yeah, it's like... uh Nice to kind of now go back to two shows. We decompress a little. You know, because, you know, things become obsolete. You know, you got to get the shows produced out because by Sunday they're obsolete. Why are you gonna, Why do you want to hear a preview podcast? Why do you want to hear a, re, a weekly yeah. reaction podcast around the horn of things that by the time you're listening to them, the other game's about to be played? Yeah. Now... This is when we just get to sit back and go, hey, listen, let's let's make some let's get drunk on a Thursday night and make some content. Yeah. Get some people on the horn. We call up an analyst or two. It's a good the off season is a good time to be a podcaster. Draft stuff. It's free fun. agent stuff, salary cap. At the same time, I'm sad that this one's coming to an end. Like I really am, because this might have been the most variance. I'm excited using, for I keep a- using that word this week. Variance. Well, I'm excited for it to end so I can stop yelling at you about your time management. Yeah, like, no, my time management's terrible. Yeah, well, we're going to have this guy. We're, Scott's coming on at this time, and Alf's going to do this time. And no, those times don't work. 
We have other shows to record. And yet you make them work because you're one of the hardest working, best podcast producers I, in all of Bill's podcasting. And no, and I don't think you get your due. In fact, I'm willing to toast to you and say Chris Krueger does not get enough accolades for the fact that he keeps this shit show on the rails all of the time. Yeah. So when you take a look back at the AFC East, obviously the Bills finished in first with a 13-3 and record. You go down the list, the Dolphins. That's the what Patriots. we finished? Oh, yeah, because that game got canceled. I forgot. Yeah, of course you did. So did a lot of people. The Jets finished in the basement. I mean, in all honesty, back when the season started, isn't that basically how we thought it would shake out? I mean, there was a, I think there was a shot that the Patriots could be there. Maybe. But realistically... You can't trust a guy to run an offense with a laminated paper and a pencil. Yeah, if you have a pencil behind your ear... And a laminated, a laminated piece of paper, sheet. you're a dickhead. Like, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Realistically, when this whole thing kicked off, if you go back to the very first AFC East roundup from this season, I would guarantee that we prognosticated this is exactly how it would play out. The Jets had the most unsettled quarterback situation... And a young roster. The Patriots seemed the most overrated, and the team was unable to make any dramatic changes in free agency despite trying to swing for the fences. Like you saw that. Matt Judon was live tweeting his frustration that no no one wanted to sign with his team. The Dolphins were the team that went all in on Tua by trading for multiple star players and hiring an offensive head coach. And the Bills we're one of the NFL's most complete rosters and have the league's preeminent quarterback talent, or at least one of the, f- I'd say, three or four. Like, it's almost like the way, remember last year when the Bills and the Chiefs ended up playing each other in the divisional round? Yeah. And there was that meme of the guy looking at the earth and he goes, wait, the earth was round? And they were like, has been the whole time. And it's the astronaut behind him. He's like, it's always been like this. You're just an idiot and conflated things. And it's like, that's kind of how this was. We always knew, despite the ups and downs during the season, that the Bills were the best team, the Jets were probably the worst, and the other two would figure it out. And yet for the first time in years, at least over the course of this podcast, like, there was every team had at least a glimmer of postseason hope yeah every team had a like a oh my god if this and this and this goes right i could be i could win the division (laughs) unfortunately it didn't pan out for anybody else except for the buffalo bills and good you know why chris why to quote the great dave Chappelle, (gasps) fuck them that's why it's a hell of a season for our divisional counterparts and tonight we are going to get together and put a bow on it for everybody as we move into the offseason for everybody else who isn't the Buffalo Bills. So we start tonight's show with the New York Jets, who finished fourth in the AFC East with a record of 7-10. and 10. Mm-hmm. Scott, we're going to run down some stats and note. This is how we're going to start every single sh- every single visitation we have tonight. Points per game, 29th in the NFL at 17.4. Opponent yards per game, fourth best mark in the league, 311.1. Red zone efficiency, 31st in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Fourth quarter points allowed, 
number one in football at 3.6. Third down conversion percentage allowed, 11th. Turnover margin, 29th in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously that last metric, not the doing of their defense. (laughs) Their, their, Their defense, like... I don't think you guys were high in terms of takeaways, but you didn't give away the farm the way your offense did, correct? Yeah, they stopped forcing turnovers toward the end of the season, more so they had done it at the beginning of the year. And to be fair, if you want to play devil's advocate, they did get very lucky in terms of the quarterbacks that they played. I mean, they faced Skylar Thompson twice, for example, they faced Jacoby Brissett. They faced a lot of backup quarterbacks, but still, they the defense played very well. And even if you want to say that they weren't quote as good as you think they are on paper, they still were a top ten defense at the absolute worst. The offense, you know what happened when Brees Hall got hurt, Elijah Barrett Tucker got hurt. That was the end. They just couldn't get any kind of consistency at quarterback. You had one really good game against the Bears from Mike White. And beyond that, you had it what ranged from okay and passable to bad. And that was really what did the offense in. And also, of course, once Brees Hall went out, that got exposed because the quarterbacks had to do more. They couldn't just rely on the running game anymore. And so that's really what the story of the season was. I joked that the Jets season, for all intents and purposes, ended on a sad day in Denver when Brees Hall and Elijah Bear Tucker went out because after that, I believe they were two and eight or something like that. And that was the end of it. So I've got a list of accolades or at least superlatives that we're going to hand out over the course of every guest spot tonight. I want to start with you talking about the biggest development for the New York Jets through 2022 and 2023. What's the thing that your team found this season? I think what they found this season was young superstar talent that they can build on. Garrett Wilson looks like he could be an all-pro caliber wide receiver. I mean, he was phenomenal. 1,100 yards this year. Who knows what he could have done with an even... With those quarterbacks, 1,100 yards should be considered like, like... It's almost like when you go golfing or when you bowl and you get a handicap... The fact that he hit 1,100, you should give him an extra 200 just by nature of who was throwing him the ball. Yeah, it really it was unbelievable what he was able to do. And I'll be honest, I've said this before, I wasn't as high on him as some other people were. I thought that he was more of a mid to late first round talent. But holy cow, was he so much better than I ever imagined he would be. Uh, Brees Hall, I'm not surprised at how good he, he is, but... I was surprised he was able to carry the entire offense. Sauce Gardner, I was all in on drafting him. You guys know that. But I also didn't expect him to have a historic season for a rookie corner. First rookie corner to go to to be selected first team all pro in 41 years. I didn't think he would be that good. And then obviously Quinnen Williams breaking out and becoming the player we all thought he could be coming out of Alabama, he had been good to very good so far, but he hadn't quite been that elite talent that we saw watching him at Alabama 
and the lead up to the draft, the, the player that Joe Blewett and I were screaming about, quick story, by the way, draft night 2019, Joe Blewett and I were two of the most bullish on Quinn and Williams out there. We were screaming about him for months. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but Joe Blewett asked his now wife to marry him at a dinner up in Canada the night of the draft. And then they were walking, they were going to take an Uber back to the hotel to watch the draft. The problem is they couldn't get any service. So they couldn't get an Uber and they couldn't get any internet. So Joe frantically calls me while the draft is starting and says, dude, I thank God you answered the phone. I can't hear what's going on in the draft and I can't get an Uber. I can't get any internet. You got it. We're walking back to the hotel you got to give me like a play-by-play of what's going on. So I did. And then Murray went first, Bosa went second. And there have been all these rumors that Jets might trade to pick, funny enough, to the Bills even, that the, they might trade down. And so when, when Goodell goes up to the podium, I held the phone up to the television set, and he announced the Williams pick. Joe and I both screamed so loud. I'm surprised that my neighbors didn't call the cops and that there was some Mountie in Canada that didn't put Joe <laughs> Blewett in handcuffs that night because we were so excited. But seeing Quinn and Williams finally become that player that we were so excited for the Jets to draft, along with Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall, uh, Sauce Gardner, and the guys that they already had, like Elijah Vera Tucker, that was, I think, the most positive development by far. So we know who it's going to be tough for you to pick an MVP. Who was your LVP of the season for the Jets? <clears throat> Unfortunately, this is a pretty obvious answer, but it's Zach Wilson. There are other candidates for this non-honor, but the quarterback is the most important player. And really, we know this. If Zach Wilson... How do you alienate a whole team? Like, how yeah. do you find a way to not only alienate all of your teammates... But then also turn the coach who watched, like, hey, we drafted you number two overall. And I'm already ready to be like, hey, Mike White, this is his shot. (laughs) Mike White, we're going to give him the shot. Well, right. And and as we know, look, if if Zach Wilson had even progressed as much as Josh Allen did, and remember, Josh Allen was not that good year two in Buffalo. But they still made the playoffs because the roster around them had been built out pretty well. And he got better from year one. He wasn't good, but he got better. Same thing could have been the case with the Jets and Zach Wilson. If Zach Wilson had even been, say, the 22nd best quarterback this year, the Jets probably make the playoffs. And Jets fans are are going into year three thinking, okay, he wasn't great, but he got better. And there's a path for him to become the player that we were hoping he would become. Now, not only did he obviously tank any chance they were going to make the playoffs, but you go into the 2023 season with massive questions at quarterback right now. Will Zach Wilson even be on the roster? Who knows? And if he is, he's certainly not going to be the guy they're going to bank on to start. Who will be the starter? We don't know. We were hoping as Jets fans that we could enthusiastically say that Zach Wilson would be the quarterback heading into year three. Even if he wasn't a superstar yet, like I said, if he had just improved like Allen did, that didn't happen, and it kind of blew everything apart. So easy pick for LVP. Uh, The course of the season wasn't all bad. There was moments where you guys were flirting with potentially leading the division. Like you had your high Uh watermarks, and then you had your lows. Your best win 
and your worst loss if you had to pick them out? I think the best win had to be the win against the Bills at MetLife Stadium. It was They were the best team that the Jets beat, and it, Zach Wilson actually played fairly well that day. They were able to do it without Brees Hall. That was the only good team they were able to beat without Brees Hall. I believe the only other victory without him was the victory that they had against the Bears team that was beyond terrible. So that, to me, was by far the most impressive. Went in the defense, did a really nice job against Josh Allen. Sauce Gardner gave up that 41-yard pass to to, uh, to Stephen Diggs really early in the game, but then they really clamped down after that. Jordan Whitehead had a big interception in the red zone on that opening drive where Diggs got that long completion very early in the drive. And Allen was completely frustrated. You guys saw it. Gardner had picked him off late in the game, too, to stop a, a drive. J- Jermaine Johnson had a huge sack on him to stop what could have been a big game that would have led to a Bills drive continuing in Jets territory. So you saw the young guys playing well, especially Zach Wilson and Sauce Gardner. And the fact that Josh Allen looked thoroughly frustrated in that game you really felt like the Jets might be going somewhere so to me easily the choice for biggest win of the or best win of the year worst loss like what was the one that really hurt your feelings like you're and this is the worst part you're a season ticket holder like I am so I know it has to be one of these ones where you're already cold you're probably sitting outside and then it's like the (laughs) team was it that Jaguars game so there's a lot of interesting choices here. I think the one that hurt the most from a football standpoint, though, was the one that got Zach Wilson benched, which was that second New England Patriots game, the one where it was tied at three, and then the Patriots ended up winning on that punt return at the very end of the game because if only they would have just put Mike White in there at the end with two minutes left, if White could have just led them for a field goal drive, that game ends, and then who knows what happens the rest of the year. could have changed the entire trajectory of the season. But the fact that that team just looked lifeless all day, and that was a game that was there for the taking over and over again. The Jets had opportunities, but the offense could not do anything. Zach Wilson was beyond terrible. And so I think that one was probably the worst loss of the year. Worst in-person loss of the year, Probably the Jaguars game, just because, like you said, it was cold, it was gross, it was nighttime, it was national TV. The, the only saving grace there is that going into that game, I really didn't expect the Jets to be able to do anything anyway. But, yeah, that was an ugly one. It was really bad. Chris, I can't remember. So what was your first year as a season ticket holder with us? Might have been 18. Okay, so the Bills already had some hope. Like there was already a little bit of promise that like, hey, yeah, this was, team might not be. It was where we went six and ten. Okay, but so the idea was, the team is cheap. They don't have any skill players, but we've got this super fun quarterback that's going to be our future, hopefully. And at least they'll you like you'll you'll tune in for the intrigue of that. Like, were you a part of any of the other years where you had expectations and the team just bottomed out? I don't think you were. No. How many of those games, was that Browns game that you attended where me and Potter got into a fight in the parking lot? Was that the only one that you no, attended? I think the first game I ever attended with you would be the worst because you left at halftime. Yep. 
It was the Browns. And I was like, nope, you're not do- your Bills, you're not getting me again. <laughs> you, you will not get me again. So I left. That's the Bills I know. And so it's weird to think that, I guess not weird, but I guess I can commiserate with you to a certain degree. And it's weird to think that Chris doesn't have that. Like you and I, Scott, we, we've we been at yeah. the stadiums. We've been there for these demoralizing losses where you, you go in with no expectations. You're like, I hope that they surprise me, but they probably won't. And then they don't. And they just become a doormat. Chris doesn't know what that's like. When he showed up Listen, to the stadium, several, the team's been good. There were several seasons. There were several seasons, Drew, just in the last couple of years, where you went in knowing before the season started that there was no hope they were going anywhere. So I think, in some ways, a season like this hurts more because at some points you thought the Jets had a legit chance to make the playoffs, and they had and yet hope with Zach Wilson to start the season, and then that evaporated quickly once he started playing, and then you had hope. That maybe Mike White was this pleasant surprise, maybe like a Kirk Cousins type of thing where <laughs> he wasn't expected to be good and he turns out to be a decent starter. And, and all of a sudden he's this he, this type of story that you don't see with the Jets. That That's for other teams. The guy that comes out of nowhere, <laughs> quarterback, that's not supposed to be for the Jets. Like, we don't and get it, turned that. Out it, still, it turned out it still wasn't for the Jets because Mike White wasn't that guy. Although more power to him for sucking it up and being so tough and playing with those cracked ribs. But, yeah, no, it, it, it's tough, man. You, you know, the Bills had a long period after Jim Kelly and those guys were gone when it was a – look, it took them a really long time to even make the playoffs again. So it is It is what it is. We, we root for star-crossed franchises, although they seem to be headed in different directions. As much as you love to complain about every little thing and nitpick everybody on the Bills, uh, the Bills yes. are a good team. Yeah, well, and so I guess that's where we kind of so this is a season where the Jets have a lot of they found a lot of great things this season. There's obviously still a lot of work to do. The biggest I, the question we're asking every guest tonight, the biggest offseason storyline, but I feel like I already know what it is because you've been tweeting about it. And it's the search for an offensive coordinator and identity. How do you th- how do you foresee that playing out? I would say that's actually the second biggest story. Ooh, the first what is the biggest, biggest story is what are the quarterback? What are they going to do at quarterback? True, I think that's that's the the biggest one. But the offensive coordinator one, look, I think it's a tough thing because okay, think about what you have to sell to somebody, right? Okay, who's the quarterback? Don't know. Coach and GM potentially on the hot seat, right? You're in a division with the Bills who look like uh, the the makings of of arguably the best team in the conference. And if not the best team, they're right at the top. We'll see what happens with Tua, but the Dolphins look like they could be tough if Tua can stay healthy, right? Belichick's always frisky. So it's a a tough division on paper on top of it. And then – you saw Daryl Bevel has been turning down. I didn't want Dar- any part of Daryl Bevel. The guy failed pretty badly in his last two stops. But you wonder, if, if there's an established guy, does he want this job? And if it's not an established guy, if he's a hot candidate, does he want it? And B, do you want him? Because you just got rid of Mike LaFleur after two seasons because the idea was he's inexperienced and you need somebody that can come in here and really – figure out how to get the most out of the talent and and get more points and this and that. 
uh, who, how do you sell the fan base on? You just got rid of Mike LaFleur. Here's some other guy who was like a quarterback coach somewhere. It's tough. Guy who's never called plays, somebody like that. How do you sell that to the fan base? And then on top of that, what kind of offensive identity are they looking for? What happens with the quarterback after the offensive coordinator? Because, okay, let's play this through. Let's say you're a veteran quarterback with options. You now know that you've got a head coach and a general manager who could be on the hot seat. You've got an offensive coordinator who's a novice, never called plays before, right? Is that a situation? Now, granted, they have a really good defense and they have some playmakers, so the roster looks pretty solid. But is that a situation you necessarily want to walk into? So I don't really know what they're going to do. Look, my preference, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, would be for them to just – write whatever check they need to write to Todd Monken to get him here. I wanted him in 2019 as the head coach when he, he was the finalist, him and Gase, and they chose Gase. Of course they did. And obviously we know <laughs> what happened with Monken after that. He, he was unfortunately left in a bad spot because he was a finalist for the Jets and Cincinnati Bengals head coaching jobs, lost out to Gase and Zach Taylor. And then after that, there really weren't any OC gigs left. And so he ends up going to Cleveland with Freddie Kitchens and Kitchens not only called the plays, but according to people that are in the know over there, he straight up ignored whatever Monken drew up as a game plan during the week. So Monken ends up, you know, getting tarred and feathered when it wasn't his fault. It was totally on Freddie Kitchens. He goes to Georgia and look at what just happened. Stetson Bennett becomes a Heisman Trophy candidate. Georgia ends up winning two national championships in a row. And so you hope that the, the people that were in the building when Monken made such a positive impression that they would go back to him. But if you're Monken, then it becomes, okay, do I want to leave this really good job at Georgia to go to the Jets? The, the only way that it would happen, I would think, is if they give him an, a massive check and they, they sell him on, hey, if you want to be a head coach, you come here, you get this offense cooking – and you're going to be in the mix to be a head coach. The other one I like is Greg Olson, who's a senior offensive assistant with the Rams. McVeigh is going to be back, so he'll still be on the staff. But he has a good track record working with quarterbacks, Blake Bortles, Josh Freeman when Freeman was productive, Drew Brees when he was at Purdue. We've seen what what he did with at the you know with the Raiders. He had. Derek Carr playing arguably the best football of his career. And that's another positive because I would like to knock on wood, see Derek Carr here as the quarterback in 2023. So it all kind of intertwines. Ah, God, it's going to be really interesting to watch your fan base and you guys as analysts and the team just navigate this. Who's going to be our quarterback? Who's going to call the plays? Like this whole thing is going to be a lot of fun from the outside to watch. I guess the only question we have left before we let you go, would you call the 2022 season? And I think that you're the guest who probably is the most trouble answering this a success or a failure. I, I you have to say a failure and I'll, I'll tell you why, because when it's all said and done, even though, there are young players on this team that are actual building blocks for the first time in a long time. And even though the Jets did technically give Jets fans meaningful football in December for the first time since 2015, 
there are still major questions at head coach. There are major questions at quarterback. This team has no direction offensively. And ultimately, if the Jets don't do something to fix that at quarterback on on the offensive side of the ball, everybody's going to be swept out and they're going to be starting from scratch again after 2023. So I can't say anything other than, yes, it was the failure. It was less of a failure than normal, uh, but it was, it was a more heartbreaking failure this time. And I think, look, if Zach Wilson had played well, you know how it is, Drew. It it all comes down to how these things happen, right? So if the Jets would have won seven games, but it had happened in a completely different way, with, say, Zach Wilson mostly playing well and showing progression, but maybe they caught a couple of unlucky breaks, you would say, okay, season was a success because it looks like they've got a guy who is showing that he's capable of potentially being the long-term answer quarterback. Salah looks like he's on solid footing. Douglas drafted a handful of what looked to be elite-level players, and now they're a destination and they're going to be in the mix for years to come. But now it all comes down to, can the Jets solve the quarterback situation? Can they get things going on offense? Otherwise, yeah, we can talk about how good the defense is and how theoretically they can keep them in games. But if they can't get at least somewhere close to average quarterback play on a regular basis, let's be real. They're not going anywhere. No, it's... uh... Scott, we hate this for you because we like you. Where can people follow you on social media? Because obviously at Play Like a Jet, you guys are going to have probably the busiest offseason of anyone in the division. Well, first of all, I just have to say, your running mate, Mark Smith, gave me a good laugh earlier today because I joked about how the list of guys that Jets are interviewing for offensive coordinator made me miss Dowell Loggins. And he said... Nathaniel Hackett would come in and fix the Jets the way Glacier fixed WCW back in the mid to late 90s. And if you're somebody that watched wrestling back then, you get the reference and you know why it's funny. So, Mark, thank you for that laugh. I appreciate it. As far as our content, we'll still be going strong. I actually just did a two-parter, and I think it's really, really good with Marcus Johnson, who does great work over on his YouTube channel. He calls it Tape Don't Lie. And he writes for Silver and Black Pride. But he he does a lot of great film breakdowns. And for the last bunch of years, he's done weekly breakdowns of the All-22 of Derek Carr. And he calls it the Carfax, which I thought is clever. So he came on and we did a two-part series breaking down the pluses and minuses of Carr's game, debunking some myths saying what you know talking about what's true what isn't all that about Carr's game what he really needs to be better at what we think that would be good or bad about him potentially coming to the Jets so if you really want to learn about Derek Carr and whether or not it would be a good idea for the Jets to potentially bring him into the division then uh, then that's something you should listen to I know Aaron Quinn from cover one had said that people sleep on Carr and while he's not an elite quarterback He's good enough that if you put him on a team like the Jets or Dolphins, he could spell some trouble for the Bills. And I tend to agree with that. He's nowhere near as good as Josh Allen. But if you give him a really good defense and some playmakers, we've seen what he can do. So 
I think it, because the Raiders have never had even a remotely decent defense with him. So I think that was really good. We're going to be doing a ton of off-season roundtables, too, with prom, uh, prominent guests in media and sports and all that, different voices that you don't usually get a chance to hear from. A lot of them are Jets fans who are going to come on and talk about the Jets in depth. So we'll have that going throughout the offseason. Of course, all the news and the ongoing offensive coordinator stuff that's happening. You can catch the show seven days a week because I'm a glutton for punishment. It's all the places that you can get podcast, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play. We've got playlikeajet.com for the written content, our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash playlikeajet. Gentlemen, I will say I am going to miss doing this with you guys for a while because I always feel like this is a form of audio therapy. <laughs> I, I really enjoy talking to you guys both on and off the podcast. And like I said, I, I will definitely miss having these chats with you. I look forward to doing it again soon. And if there's going to be a team from the AFC East to make some noise, I'm glad that it's the Bills because we all can agree on one thing. We hate the Patriots and the Dolphins and nothing good should happen to those franchises. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So now that we moved on from the basement of the AFCs, we move up the ladder rung to the New England Patriots. Finished third in the AFC East with an 8-9 and nine record. Missed the playoffs by one game. Statistics notes, points per game, 17th in the league at the end of the season, 21.4. Opponent rush yards per, well, opponent yards per game in general, they were really good. Ninth, 322. Red zone efficiency, they were the worst team in the NFL. 32nd at just 42%. Fourth quarter points allowed, they were ninth in the league, so they were a top 10 team, again, defensively. Third down conversion percentage allowed, though, was 21st in the league, and their turnover margin per game was fifth best in football. It almost makes it hard to understand how this Patriots team was so bad. Doesn't it, Christian? No, not really, if you watched. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, well, no, if you watch. Well, I'll tell you this. I don't know that you have, like, I don't know that you have the money to pay me to watch all 17 Patriots games in any given season. I won't. Uh, I like you. I would never do that to you. And yeah, there's not enough money in the world to make me rewatch those. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I'll give you my NFL yeah. plus login. If you want, you can go in and just rewatch the whole thing from top to bottom. Uh, I, I think I'm good. I, you know, I think in life when you see certain things once, that's, that's enough. I've seen some of those, you know, 
you open the wrong door. Yep. Uh, your buddy turns oh. around without tying his towel too fast. You go, whoa, Jesus. Now you got to walk okay. around seeing him at picnics going, Jesus Christ, that guy. <laughs> There's some things right. you just can't unsee. Right now, your season ending the way that it did. Where is the tenor of the Patriots fan base today? It is hyper of a week. The talk around here has been the statement that the team released uh, last week where they said that they were, in fact, um, going to uh, start the interview process for our offensive coordinator. And we're in uh, progress in the works on keeping Gerard Mayo with New England. I can tell you that was met with huh and just totally unprecedented uh in all the years that that we've ever been uh you know subjected to uh this team as far as notices and what you want to you know what you hope for them to do what you hope that they'll be doing what you hope to hear from them usually when the season ends you see bill at the owners meeting sometime in march and then you don't see him again until the pre-draft press conference. And then you don't see him again until after the draft. And then you see him at the beginning of training camp. You could count on, you know, three fingers when you see Bill. I think, and, and the narrative has been ownership and Bill met. They agreed that changes need to be made on the offensive side of the ball. And the <laughs> statement was nothing more than the owner saying, yeah, by the way, just to make sure that you're going to do what you said you were going to do. And they released the statement. <laughs> um, so that that's been really it's been it was it was really really shocking to a lot of people, um, me included. I thought it was spam when I saw it on Twitter. I'm like, oh, somebody somebody sent this out on Patriots. Uh, this is hacked. Like this can't be real. And then it was every all the major you know chefters and everybody started tweeting it. And I was like, wow, this is legit. It's it does have to be kind of weird, and you almost wonder how that conversation went because your owner's an old man. And you've said it before. He looked, he very much treated and probably looked at Billichek and Brady like part of his own family. So when he's going to come yep. down there as this old Jewish man and go, What are we doing? <laughs> What's happening here? What are you doing? Right. You, Bill, you got you, you to gotta fix this. Bill, this can't happen again. Bill, this can't. He's, I don't think he's ever been in this position before, right? Like it's, it's, um, you know, that's a good question. I no, I, you know, the only thing that I can compare this to as far as, um, sort of the, 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 the owner and the, and the, and the head coach getting together from a personnel standpoint would be when Josh almost left in 2018, you know, they, the story was at the 11th hour, they pulled Josh off the plane before he went to Indianapolis to get him back here and to keep him. And that was the rumor at that time was, it was primarily driven by Brady that Brady wanted Josh here. He didn't want to lose Josh. And the narrative there was, well, Josh is the next guy in line, which despite the fact that you have a bunch <laughs> of rules that you have to comply with, you couldn't just make Josh the next guy, but whatever. Um, so I, I think that, you know, that's sort of been, that was like the closest from a personnel standpoint. And I think if, you know, anybody that's a fan of football and a fan of the Patriots knows that this is a team that's not without uh, controversy. And look, they've been through Spygate together. They've been through Deflategate together. They've been through Brady leaving together. Um, so I, they've been through a lot. But this was definitely – I think because they're in such – at a late point in their in their careers, both of them, as, as Robert is in ownership and as in Bill is in coaching, I think that this was really 
really significant, really important that they were both on the same page agreeing that changes need to be made. I firmly believe in my mind, if it was if Bill had his druthers, he, he would bring Matty P and, and and Joe Judge back and run it back. I do. I really do. I just think he loves them so much, and I think that he believes deep down inside that they're the guys that they can coach, that they can get it. And I'm glad ownership as a fan. I'm ecstatic that ownership has stepped in here and, and taken, you know, really the bull by the horns. And to me, that just screams like, you guys need a real GM. You need somebody who can step in front of Bill and kind of be like, look, man, I know what's best to build an organization and the things you're doing. Maybe you've lost the plot a bit because you've been left to, you know, it's it's like the guy who's been left to run the boat for too long and he doesn't like you kind of lose touch of what you're doing. You need a new captain to be able to say, look, I understand that you're Bill Belichick and you are this guru at defensive game planning and you know all these things and you're a good coach. Why don't you focus on that? <laughs> because the rest of these things you're doing are all right. mistakes. And unfortunately, they're, they're like, they don't seem to want to do that. And it just seems to be like, like the owner shouldn't be the one stepping in here and making these calls. It should be a GM forcing Belichick to do this. God, I don't ever see a day when that'll happen, unfortunately, until he retires. So yeah, look, Bill, would, Bill would have to be somewhere else, right? So looking no back over the course of this season, as we take it all in, because you have now joined us for an entire year's worth of podcasts as we talked through every single week of this season. It was a lot of fun. What do you think was the biggest development for the Patriots? The biggest development you saw come out of them this year? The thing that you as a fan walk away with and say, or at least I got this, or at least I learned this about my football team this season. I, I really love the way Ramondre Stevenson developed. I, I just, if there's a kid that you can look at and they, you can say, geez, you know, man, they really whiffed on a lot of draft picks, but they, they nailed it with that kid. That made me feel really good. It, it did. Um, that being said, he's a running back. <laughs> so He shouldn't be the guy that you feel the best about. Right, and it's and there's only so much he can do. Like, you know, there's very few guys like Christian McCaffrey that, that can line up you know, in the slot and, and do a bunch of different things, you know, and those guys are also the guys that are getting hit the, the most because if they're catching, touching the ball a lot, you know, I mean, think of the guy, how, think of how great a guy like Marshall Falk was, a Hall of Famer who just you just changed really the position when you look at it um, and how great he was. But those are far and few between. And, and, yeah, if there's one guy, if there's one thing that I have to feel pretty good about going to the next year, it's, it's Ramondre Stevenson. I, I just thought he – he just did so much, and and you know, I don't know where, quite frankly, where the team would have been in a couple of games without him. I thought he was that good. I thought he was that good running the ball, but I thought he was that good even catching the ball this year, which is something that that I didn't see a lot of last year. If you so so besides Ramondre Stevenson, since obviously he's your favorite player on the team, at least coming out of this year, if take him out of the equation. If you have to name an MVP and an LVP. For the 2022 season, who gets those accolades? MVP would be Jude on on offense, uh, on defense. Excuse me, no question about it. He was, you know, from start to finish, he was just a force. He was just immense, and it was on every down. It wasn't just third down. He was every down. He was making a play, uh, rushing the passer, breaking up passes. He was just immense this year. Look, uh, I mean, on the offensive side of the ball, you got to go back. Just uh, on totally on the flip side, huge disappointment this year. Um, the bitching and the moaning, the, the throwing the hands up in the air, the 
yelling towards the sideline, the yelling on the sideline. There's a difference between being a leadership and being a brat. This year he was a brat. Look, we all know he was saddled with two guys that if you asked him to go get a cup of coffee, would probably screw it up. We get it. <laughs> That's what you had. That was your. That was what you had. We get it. Like they stunk. They they had no idea what they were doing. They got the plays in late, but you were drafted to be the next leader of this team, and he didn't show that at all this year. See, um, at that- no point did I say, "Geez, he's he's a leader. He can lead this team." I just I didn't see it, and it was very very disappointing season for him. Chris, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Like, when you think about how quarterbacks develop, you know, we bring in Josh Allen as a rookie and everyone laughs at us because they're like, oh, that guy. And it comes out early, you know, early in his career here in his first season, you watch him overthrowing screen passes to running backs by at least a good 15 feet. And people are laughing at us going, oh, it's your quarterback. Look at him. Ah. And he made a lot of mistakes. A lot of rookie mistakes, but also a lot of mistakes because he's raw and had, I think they said, what, Chris, he had like one third of the total. If you went back to high school, it was like he had something like 30,000 fewer snaps of football than Baker Mayfield. Yeah. It was something crazy like that. And so they were like, oh, he's the number one overall pick, and this is this kid. He's so raw, but we believe we in the intangibles, and we believe in the raw physical traits, and we think we can all bring him into concert and make him a a great football player. And he's made good on that. But a lot of it's the intangibles. And it's that they they looked at him, not only him, but his, his mental makeup, his personal makeup, his personality. The way he's playing on a dog shit football team with the cheapest offensive or second cheapest offensive line in football that's not winning, has no skill position players, is losing a ton of football games. And yet he puts on a winning streak at the end of the year and is basically like, guys, I've I've spent my whole life playing dog shit football. Let's go win a fucking game. All right, let's let's go beat the piss out of Miami in the final week. Why? Because fuck those guys. They cheap shotted me and now they're gonna pay for it. It he was a you saw the leadership just oozing out of this kid and you watched the entire team rally around him. I've watched Mac Jones play in college and you saw the technical aspects of what he could do. But in college, especially in a program like Alabama, you don't get to see that player's personality because Nick Saban. You don't get to have a personality at Alabama. (laughs) Nick Saban's personality is your personality, and you better shut the fuck up and do what he tells you to. Don't talk to anybody. Don't speak to anybody. If the media approaches you, you don't say nothing either. It's almost like the mafia, isn't it? Like It has a little bit of that vibe. So then he goes to the Patriots, and you're saying, okay, well, we've seen all the things he's capable of. Last year, he showed us some technical stuff. We need him to take over as the leader of the team, and you just... You actually watched him rub some people and some players the wrong way. It's it just seems yeah, crazy he, to me. Yeah, he you know, and and the reports from various people who cover the team, you know, uh, a lot of the younger guys were with him, were in support of him, and then a lot of the older veteran guys were like rolling their eyes, saying like, "What are you doing?" You know, like, <laughs> what, "Are you kidding me here?" So it was that divide and. Depending on who you read and who you listen to, I try to obviously consume as much as I can, like you guys do about the team. There's a lot of people that that behind the scenes are saying that it was a lot worse than it appeared. That there was some there was a really true divide and a fracture in that locker room, and there were factions of people who were pro Mac and, and anti Mac. And 
that's something that needs to be fixed too. So this goes just beyond the field. This is this is off the field too. So I'm really interested to see who they bring in here for offense uh, to to coordinate the team, coordinate offense, and, and and just to see to see where it goes. I I I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know if it's a complete scrap and and just come in with a, a Shanahan based type system. I don't know if it's to go back to the Josh system. I I know I'm not in the weeds enough on the personnel if they even have what they have. That can that can do you know the Shanahan system or the other Josh Potato system. I don't know, but I can tell you one thing: they need to get going on it. Like they they need like you've already seen this week. Multiple teams have made hires. Um, you know, Denver's out there. They look like they're going to hire Sean Payton. Multiple GMs have been hired already. Monty Austin Fortress got hired in Arizona. Former Patriot guy. So things are happening, and, and I just hope that they address it sooner than later. Best win of the season and worst loss. Uh, the worst loss, I'll start with that one, no doubt, is was, was to Vegas. No no question about it. Really? It was on the last play of that game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that losing that losing that game, I mean, look. And then the way Mac looked when he got trucked, you know, <laughs> I, I, it just it, it was just awful. Um, uh, the best win in the year, actually, was the punt return game against the Jets. Um, <laughs> you know, the Jets just being idiots, punting the ball. <laughs> to Marcus Jones, you know, with, with like 15 seconds left on the clock. It's tied 3-3. You're going into overtime. Just even kick it out of bounds. Like the Patriots, I think, had one timeout left. Like, just, you know, just don't put the ball anywhere near the kid. But the Jets being the Jets just punted it to him. It did kind of have that, that feel. That like, was the best win. Like, if you remember the Mar- the Miracle in the Meadowlands. Um Oh where, yeah, where right. the, the, you could see the punter's name was Dodge. I'll never forget it because my fantasy football playoff game hinged on this game, and I had Michael Vick uh, and Deshaun Jackson. And so at first they're getting buried, and I'm like, "Oh, all right, I'm I'm half in the bag. Let me go to the mall and finish my grocery shopping." They're not grocery <laughs> Christmas shopping, so I'm walking around the mall, and all of a sudden I get a text from my buddy that says, "I'll see you in hell." The guy I'm playing. So I run to the bar, and as I walk in, I watch Dodge punt the ball directly to Jackson. And it's one of those things where afterwards, Coughlin's screaming in his face. Like, I gave you one job. I told you to do anything except for that, and you fucking did it. Not, what did I tell you? And Dodge is walking away, and he grabs him by the arm, and he goes, what did I tell you? What did I tell what you? What was I telling he you? he just yelling at him. Oh, it was great. You fucking killed me. Yeah. You killed yep. me. It's Yep. It, it was an amazing thing and you did get vibes of that watching the way that played out cuz it's like guys, all you got to do is take this like just kick it out. Don't give the guy a yeah. chance. Otherwise something might happen. So what was the what was the highest point of the season? If you could pinpoint it where the crest of the year was and where the low point of the season was for you guys. Uh, gee, I'm 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 really pressed to have a high point, guys. Um, I I, <laughs> I mean, I, I, it's, I every week was was a tractor pull. Um, I mean, the low point of the the low point was losing to Vegas. Like I said, yeah. I, I don't I don't have any high points. I, I thought it would have been the Bears game where you're like, hey, you know, everyone got all fired up about Zappy, Zappy, and then you brought in Zappy, and everyone cheered, and they were like, yeah, all right, we got our guy, and then he got Rochambeau. It was just, I, I guess, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess if the high point of the year was like a quarter, um, you know, they, I guess if you look at the schedule, like they, they beat, they destroyed Detroit, and then they destroyed Cleveland, both with Zappy. 
<laughs> and then you were going into that Bears game, but that was the game that Matt came back, and that was that whole zappy thing. Maybe that that first month, first week in October, you might have been like, hmm, maybe they got something with the zappy kid here. Maybe they're not as bad. But I, nah, every week was up and down. It was win loss or win loss 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 win against a crap team. Really, no high points at all. I, I, <laughs> just, this team was just bad. <laughs> Eight and nine. You know, I, I that's I mean, again, we all talk about Bill and his, you know, aging and, and has the game passing by. Bill can still coach. He can still coach circles around guys who have no clue. I think this is a four or five one team with anybody else. I really do. Like he, he, the defense was put in awful positions and didn't perform as bad as they could have. And they saved them in some games. And that's really what kept if you listen to people, that's really what kept a lot of the people watching was that at least they were in games for the most part. Um, I mean, at some point, I, all I you told you in August, I couldn't wait for the year to be over. <laughs> I'm glad it's over. So. <laughs> you were like, I'm glad. I wish I could just punt to the off season and the draft and free agency. Well, so I'll tell you one of the most depressing things about that though, is that I always used to listen to you guys and laugh. And I would, I would laugh because you guys would like be talking about the draft in January. And you'd be talking about some kid from like, Oregon, who who's you know probably going to go at the com- going to be at the combine. He's going to be like a combine stud, and you know he's a three year starter. And I'm like, wow, I'm like he's got. I'm like, I don't even think about the draft until March. Now I'm like looking at like mock drafts, and it's January 18th. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy so that we can. Bad. Yeah, it's weird being on the other side of the looking glass, isn't it, Simonelli? I don't like it at all. <laughs> no, it's it's. I'll tell you what, I love you. Everybody else who's ever put on a Patriots jersey, you guys deserve this. You really do. <laughs> I feel you. Love you too, but yeah, I feel you. I feel you. So we've already talked about some of the biggest offseason storylines, which is basically going to be how you guys rebuild the cabinet over there within the Patriots organization and what happens in terms of the game day hierarchy. Who's calling what? How they figure out this offensive side of the ball? What they do with this quarterback thing? There's a million interesting storylines, and that's a bad thing, right? Like whenever you're the interesting team of the off season, it usually means you got a lot of problems. The Patriots are shaping up to be one of yeah. the more interesting teams of this off season. As we put a bow on everything that was the 2022-2023 Patriots, would you declare this season a success or a failure? No, failure, failure, <laughs> failure, failure. Not even close. Um, Chris, isn't it nice Huge to step that? back. <laughs> He's huge over here smiling. Back. He's smiling with his feet up on the desk like Gordon Gecko. <laughs> I, I would be too. Yeah, greed is good. I mean, hey. <laughs> yeah, it's no, it, it was definitely a failure. A failure in every aspect. You you had uh, Mac and Mac. It's, it all revolves around Mac. Mac regressed this year. Um, Bill didn't do him any favors by surrounding him with the uh, with the coaching staff. And um, this offense needs a game breaker. There is nobody on this offensive side of the ball that any defense needs to game plan for at all. Every team, I feel like, when you play somebody, at least has that one guy. They don't have that one guy that you have to take out, and they need him. So whether it's through a trade or a high draft pick, they need to get a stud uh, at the perimeter. They need a stud wide receiver this year. They need something. They need a whole lot of things. What they need to do is take my advice 
And basically, Massachusetts and the state of Rhode Island both sink into the ocean like Atlantis and leave the rest of us <laughs> the fuck alone. They need to do that, Simonelli. I love you. You can get. I'll, we'll let you off the boat. Everyone else, just you're gone to the bottom All of right, the ocean. I, live. Great. I could do without you. <laughs> we love you. It's been a fun season together. I'm looking forward to another one here. We'll get together in the off season. We'll talk about stuff. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, love you guys right back at you. Th- you know, thanks for having me, allowing me to, you know, to come on here and contribute um, at Chris with the TAN on Twitter. Give me a follow. I'll give you a follow back. And um, it'll be interesting to see who the Patriots hire. So you'll get some laughs out of me when I, uh, you know, my head explodes when they hire some, you know, no name guy or some other bill retread. And I'll just continue to pound my head into the desk. And finally, we're talking about the Dolphins. We round this out with the Dolphins, who finished second in the AFC East. Going to run you down the stats of note. The points per game, they finished 11th with 23.8. Opponents yards per game, 19th, 342.6. Red zone efficiency, 10th in the NFL at 59%. Fourth quarter points allowed, 19th. Third in conver- uh, third down conversion percentage allowed, they were 26th in the NFL. And turnover margin per game, not great. They actually, in terms of total turnovers, they were in like the bottom 10 of the entire league. The Miami Dolphins, Elf. It's been one hell of a season, hasn't it? <laughs> it's been interesting, right? Like, yeah. yeah, we're not sure if it was, success, if it was a successful season or not. Uh, we just know how it ended. You know? <laughs> and some are happy, some are not. So, for, first of all, let me ask you this, because our listeners have been clamoring for it, and they're like, oh, you didn't give it to Alf. You didn't rub it in his face. Well, first of all, there's not a whole lot I can rub in your face. I mean, you guys made the playoffs, right? You're a playoff football team. And there's not really enough. There's really not so much you can rub in my face. Like, we're we're the neighbor that you're pretty sure is armed and might kill you any one any one of these days well you know it's the I mean? it's the thing where you're like you have this guy like i almost look at it like chris if i had an analogy for this the miami dolphins like if this was the movie jingle all the way the buffalo bills are arnold schwarzenegger trying to get the turbo man doll and the miami dolphins are phil hartman's character who you're like i don't like that guy and i think i'm better than him but also he might fuck my wife when i'm not looking I, I don't know, but he might just sneak up and rook me if I'm not paying attention. <laughs> yeah. I It's one of those things where you guys had this season, especially now, especially after this game. You know, everyone's talking about, oh, well, after the playoff game, after the playoff game when they're all beat up and we really stick it to them. Chris, does anybody, is anybody walking around with that same energy today? No. Or are we more just relieved that we're, we survived and advanced? Survive in advance. So, with that in mind, the Dolphins fans, by and large, have to feel pretty good for the first time in a long time about this team, right? Yeah. Like, uh, it's there, there's been a sea change. And it took that game, and it took what Mike McDaniel has been preaching all year. They finally paid attention to what he was saying. All week, and the media down here was trying to make sure that Mike McDaniel knew that they were 14-point underdogs. But he said something very poignant on, I believe it was Friday, when he says, you guys know we're 14-point underdogs. And I'm pretty sure all, all my entire team knows that they're 14-point underdogs, but they don't feel like 14-point underdogs. We're going over there to go win a game. 
Yep. And he was matter-of-factly saying that all week, and I guess he proved his point. Too bad that it was that a lot of people could lay the blame at losing the game on him. Well, you know, which is <laughs> you know, which is which is another story. But you know, as far as getting the team ready to play and getting the third string quarterback ready to play against your arch rival, like yeah, how can how can you be mad? You couldn't ask there, 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 for much more. There's than only that. yeah, there's only two modes. There's uh, pleasantly surprised and okay, or elated that you managed to get the victory. That those are the only two modes. It, and I, I will say, as, some, as someone who just watches the usual just immolation of Dolphins Twitter after stuff like this, because, again, I'm petty. Like, I sit back and I watch. You have no idea how many Dolphins fans are just, like, on on my radar who I pay attention to, and then I pay attention to all the comments, and I just I soak it all up like a sponge. Like, this is great. This is amazing. I, I, it's been – I've been surprised at how positive your usually very hyperbolic fan base is being in the aftermath of all this. So when we talk about the 2022-2023 season, first of all, and I think you just hit on it, you know, we've been asking everybody what the, you know, for starters, because we're going down these superlatives, the biggest development for you guys this year, it almost has to be the emergence of somebody who looks like they deserve to be head coach and the just, just the team or like the team's acceptance of his message, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you got to think about everything he came in saying. He said, look, when I got the job and he kind of repeated it when he had his press conference with Chris Greer. But he said, look, I got the job and I spent six months trying to convince everybody. Look, your quarterback's really good. <laughs> you know, now let me work with him and we'll be fine. He said two things when he got hired. He was like, when I walked through the building, and yeah, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, when I walked through the building, everybody keeps reminding me we haven't won a playoff game since 2000. And he said, well, that's coming. Like, we're going to go get that this year. Like, that's something we're working on this year. Well, he fell a little short. And then the, he said the other thing that they kept telling him was, we haven't had a top 10 offense since 1995. And he says, and that's happening this year. He was actually right about that. Because with Tuatunga Valor, they were ranked, I believe, third and if you believe some advanced metrics that were second behind Kansas City. So, yeah, mission accomplished on that end. He built an offense, and that offense was good. Uh, it only really operated very well with the starting quarterback, but you kind of expect that. But, yeah, it was a good season for him. And if you're just going to look at the nine wins and the five-game losing streak and put a lot well, of stock in that, I was you're, missing, you're missing what actually was accomplished this year. Well, and that's it, because I'm looking at this in 20, like, I'm just, like, because I was looking for the numbers while you were talking. In 2021, the Miami Dolphins were ranked, now some of that has to do with Tua's absence, but then when Tua came back, because what, he only missed three or four games last year, and he came back yeah. and played out the string, and the team went nowhere. They were 21st in the NFL in average scoring margin. Negative one point nine, which means they lost a lot of games, and they were close ones, but they still lost them because their offense couldn't push the ball anywhere, couldn't accomplish anything meaningful trying to score points. You move forward to twenty twenty two. Now they're in the four. They're fourteenth. You improved seven. You improved more than seven other football teams in terms of how many points you score in a single off season. Without time to build a quality offensive line, without time to really, you know, you basically invested in your skill positions this offseason in your defense and said, okay, I think we can get by with this. Now, Bills fans have seen it. In 2017, 2018, there was a building process taking place. 
I'm sure that's what's going to come for Miami over the course of the next couple months with the limited resources they have. Shifting gears, if you had to name an MVP and an LVP for the Dolphins, who would you pick for each? Uh, okay, the MVP is obvious. Is, is Tuatunga Valoa. He had a monster year when he played. He played 12 games. And like I said, those 12 games, like the offense averaged 27 points a game. And in those 12 games, he had the number two ranked offense in the NFL, the number two ranked pass offense in the NFL. And he had a good game by every measure. He led the league in passer rating, led the league in yards per attempt. And he was a big reason why we had General Waddle with 1,300 yards and Tyreek Hill with 1,700 yards. So, and two 800 yard running backs. So, this was a really productive offense when he was in there. When he was not in there, it was not. As far as an LVP, I really hate to do this to him, to him because, you know, he was counted on and he could say, oh, it's my, you know, my Achilles. But Byron Jones was easily the LVP. He was expected for week one. The team came around and actually said that it was their mistake, that they, they kept saying that he was going to be ready for week one, that they really meant week four. Uh, he doesn't show for week four. Then they said, you know, week six. He doesn't show for week six. And then they said, look, he better be on the plane going out west. He was not on the plane going out west. I don't I don't think he'll be on the team going forward. But that's a $16 million a year cornerback that is pretty good when he plays and could have been a huge help, especially for a unit that lost five guys to injury for the season this year. So at the end of the year, we were just we were down to three guys. It was Xavier <laughs> Howard, Cater Kohu, who we found out of nowhere and ended up having a really nice season, and Javon Holland. That's not a secondary, especially when your base secondary is five guys. Yeah. So, you know, you lose Nick Needham for the year. Byron Jones never shows up. Brandon Jones is out. Trill Williams is out after the the last preseason game. And yeah, you're playing with guys off the street, and it's a mess back there. So the LVP is easily Byron Jones because he could have alleviated a lot of problems this season. I'm surprised you didn't say Chase Edmonds. <laughs> well, they, they they got rid of him as fast as, as they possibly could. Yeah. Uh, I, so. I was one of those assholes who drank the Kool-Aid. I drafted that guy in like four, like four fantasy football leagues. To one of them, one easy wasn't wasn't even mine. It was my uncle's league, and I go, "Don't worry, this guy is a gem. It's a find." Like the fourth or fifth week, and then when he got traded, my uncle texts me. He goes, "What the hell is this?" I go, "Yep, I fucked that one up. I really." Yeah, and they <laughs> and they had the wrong mix uh, when they started the season. They had uh, Raheem Mostert more as the thumper and and Edmonds as the speed guy, and it turns out that Ed, uh, you know, Mostert as the speed guy, and then you trade for Jeff Wilson, and we traded nothing. We traded a conditional fifth round pick for Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson as the thumper. And then Savan Ahmed just picking up the pieces, who was who was very very productive whenever he got in. That was the right mix, and I do expect them to bring them all back. By the way, high point of the season, lowest point of the season. Uh, high point of the season was when we played the Texans coming out of the bye, and they absolutely played as cynical as you could in the first half, throwing it every single down getting a 30 to nothing lead and then sitting everybody for the second half. And I'm sitting here saying, I can get used to this, but this also feels stupid. And then the <laughs> Texans, then the Texans proceeded to get to creep their way back into the game. Game ended 30 to 15. So 
they didn't do too much creeping, but still, you know, they got those 15 points like in the third quarter, you know? So, yeah, I go, I, or you could say, look, the high point was the first play against San Francisco. It went for a 75 yard touchdown. Low point, I, it has to be the announcement on Monday after the Green Bay game that Tuatunga Valoa suffered another concussion against Green Bay and that he was out. And those of us that kind of knew, knew that he was 50-50 for the playoff game if they made the playoffs, which means he wasn't going to play the last two games against the Patriots and and Jets. So that was the low point. That's got to be brutal, Chris. It's Christmas. It's fucking Christmas. It's Christmas. Well, those are the breaks. (laughs) It's Christmas. And you literally just Santa took a dump in your stocking and you find out that you're a franchise. Like, here's the guy. This is the guy that makes our offense run. Oh, he's gone. Not only is he gone, but we lost the game. So it sets us back. There's another loss in the Just another one in the loss column. Oh, by the way, you're not going to have that guy. So now good luck even if you... Like, I can imagine that being one of the most... Like, trust me, the Bills have put... Chris, I've gone to some dark places with this Bills team. Like, I, I mean, when I, I'll, just to put it in perspective, when I say dark, I remember the Thursday night football game where EJ Manuel and Brian Hoyer both got knee injuries within two and a half minutes a clock of each other. And it was Jeff Toole playing Brandon Whedon, and I took a whole cookie cake that one of my friends had brought over for the party we were throwing... I got five beers, a whole cookie cake, and I just went to my room and closed the door. I was hosting the party, and I just left everyone alone in my house. I was like, I don't care where you go. I don't care if you leave, stay. I'm just going to come sit here in the dark and wallow in this cookie. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's that's what we're talking about here. So, if there's... I, I guess there's one thing I want to talk to you about in terms of a... Not a favorite game, but a favorite player, a favorite moment. There's a storyline I want to talk to you about before we kind of of close this up. And it's this emergence of Christian Wilkins and what it means. I mean, we talked in the recap of the wildcard game. You know, I, I named Christian Wilkins my zero of the week, but I went on to say that I love it. I love this because the just the the narrative that's building now between our two teams the the real tangible visible animosity you can't have a good rivalry without that and I feel like this is our first step towards really reigniting what was the best rivalry of the 90s right yeah I would say so but it's you know it matters because uh, these are long-term pieces like Kristen Wilkins We'll be here for a very, very long time. He'll be in the ring. He'll be in the ring of honor. And if he continues his play, he might be in the Hall of Fame. Okay. Uh, the guy was absolutely spectacular this year. He was snubbed for all pro. He set a record for tackles for defensive linemen. What did he you say? Three, he had like a hundred and what tackles? Like he had 98, 98. this year. Chris. So he broke, he broke the record by six. Chris, 98 tackles. To put it in perspective, if I go right now and I look at the Buffalo Bills this week and I say defense, let's take a look at tackle numbers. Do, 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 tackles combined. Tremaine Edmonds has 102. Tremaine Edmonds plays middle linebacker and 100 and you know, almost 100% of our snaps. They have a D tackle. Who has the same like number of tackles? That's wild. 
Like you tag you, you were the one I'm looking through my DMs right now because I sent you something and you were sp- <laughs> what did you say? You were like, uh, yeah, I want Wilkins to run for president of the United States with Sealer as his VP. When I sent you the, uh, it was kind of a mashup of pictures of Josh Allen and Christian Wilkins jawing at each other, right yeah. there in that final snap of the game. And you, yeah, were like, I like hey, to, I like to say all the time, you know, the team may be a wild card team, but you know, Wilkins and Sealer, those guys, they're the one seed. They're the, they're the undefeated one seed. <laughs> all right, in the NFL, uh, those guys don't lose. Those guys are great. They play great every week. Uh, they're never the problem. And you kind of finally saw what the transformation of our defense is going to look like going into next year. It's going to be those two guys in the middle with Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb on the outside. And, you know, that's the team going forward. That's the core of the defense going forward. It finally reached its um, – actually, it's, it was coming along the last few weeks, but it finally reached its apex, like what it's supposed to look like in that game against Josh Allen. I don't know how many quarterback hits they had, but it was a ton. But the seven sacks, they forced three fumbles. They scored on defense. There's like, 24 that's pressures. I know that. 24 total pressures, which is wild. Mm-hmm. And so that, that will be the focus of the team going forward. That's the identity of the team is those four guys up front. Now, as someone who covers the team, season's over. But it's not really over. The season never really ends. It just changes. Now you've got the whole offseason out in front of you. What is, in your opinion, the biggest offseason storyline for this football team? Who's going to back up Tua Tungvaluwa? I think is is a huge storyline. Uh, they got to get a competent guy back there because this year was just Keystone Cops. Is they could never figure it out, and judging by their win loss record without without them, it was a huge problem. Other than that, they got to settle right tackle. They played five guys there this year. That's you know a feather in Matt Applebaum's cap, who's a really really good offensive line coach. Would you? But, be, I mean, would, do you want them to stop at right tackle? I mean, why not just go whole hog and say let's build a fucking offensive line before we Andrew Luck this guy? Well, they have three guys <laughs> they could count on, right? And you only play five, so it's hard to have five guys that you could count on. They got to figure. They got to figure out left guard, absolutely. But they have three guys they could count on, which is Armstead, Colonel Williams. And Robert Hunt, but they got to figure out right tackle. Right tackle has been a sore spot on this team. Brandon Shell, they found him out of nowhere. He played a good four games, but you don't know if that's going to hold up over 17 next year. So they got to settle that before anything else. And then it's just about getting people healthy. You know, as of right now, uh, including Ogba, and I'm not even going to include Byron Jones, they have about $62 million in payroll on IR. They got to get all of that back onto the field and try to keep them healthy. And you do that, and you're immediately going to have a much better team. So, Chris, they lost a playoff game to the Buffalo Bills. Their season comes to an end. They've got a lot of things in front of them that they have to improve on, but there's there's almost no way. Like, the strides that were made, in your opinion, the Bills-Dolphins rivalries back on, right? They're the closest franchise to catching us in terms of teams that could win the division every year, correct? Chris? Yes. So, with that in mind, there's no, we're asking everybody whether they see it as a, a, this season as a success or a failure. You have to see this as almost a rousing success, considering the last decade of Miami football. Yeah, the final score was 85-81 between the three teams, and you could make a case for 
either team winning all three games or losing all three games or it being 2-1 or it being 2-1 in favor of Buffalo, 2-1 in favor of Miami. Every game was in doubt. Every game was there to be won by both teams. So, yeah, the rivalry is absolutely on. And if from the Miami perspective, you're looking at it and you're like, you know, we would have liked to hold on to that lead in the fourth quarter both times. Uh, second time, we would like to have our backup quarterback. The first time, we would like to stay on the field a little bit more and actually cash in some of those turnovers. So, you know, there's a lot of woulda, coulda, but in the end, you still have those results, and those results are pretty good. And those results suggest that this is a wide-open division really between these two teams next season. Now, this is the time of year that Three Yards Per Carry as a podcast is just a, as a brand, is what you guys do. This is where it actually becomes more accessible to guys like me, Chris, our listeners, because now you're talking about broad-spectrum stuff that is kind of accessible to every fan base. You're talking about free agent profiles. You're talking about you guys specifically are getting into draft stuff, stuff that I think is widely applicable. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find all your work and just some of the stuff you guys have coming up over at Five Reasons here over the course of the offseason? That's a great talk up because, uh, yeah, absolutely. We're going to be getting into all of those things, but we're also launching another show on our feed, which is going to be me and Simon Clancy. Simon Clancy has great access to a lot of these prospects. We're going to call the show two on three, which means every single week until draft day, we will talk about two prospects from any position. I don't know what we're starting with next week. I believe we're starting with tight ends, but we'll start. We'll talk about two prospects every single week in depth. You could record those. You could keep those. You could go over them. It applies to every team in the NFL. So, you know, uh, you could be looking at our feed at the number three yards per carry on Twitter and, of course, on Spotify, iTunes. And if your team needs a tight end, a wide receiver, look for those episodes. I'm pretty sure you're going to enjoy them. They're not Dolphin-centric. They are NFL draft-centric. Christian Simonelli, Scott Mason, Alf Artiaga. I'd go with a trio like I always do, but based on what happened yesterday, we will reference these people as the Briscoe Brothers of podcasting. The and Briscoe Brothers. Yeah. You laugh now when I tell you that, sadly, Jay Briscoe passed away in a car accident yesterday, so that's why I will use the Briscoe Brothers. They were like Ring of Honor legends. I'm not going to lie. Like, now I laughed. And you say that like I'm supposed to feel bad about it? I don't. I don't. <laughs> they're indie legends. Well, that's good for them. That brings us to the Buffalo Bills, who finished first in the AFCs with a 13 and three record for the third straight season. The AFC East Roundup podcast comes to a close, and the Bills season is still moving on. It didn't always look like it was going to end that way, did it? Oh, yeah. By uh, your standards, we're one of the worst teams in the league. There was a time where the Miami Dolphins held the title. There was a time where we flirted with the idea that the Patriots could win this thing. Then there was the idea that, hey, well, you've got multiple AFC teams that might win. Like, Chris, we were calling ourselves the most competitive division in football. Yeah, and then everybody Does lost, it, like, except the Bills lost, like, the last four, three straight, weeks. four straight weeks. Uh, and now here we are at the end of this. Hopefully this isn't the end for Buffalo. Hopefully our season continues after this week. 
Regardless, we've got a lot more roundtable-style content heading your way this upcoming offseason. I've already got a two-part AFC roundtable pegged. One of them is an analytical, nuanced look at AFC football in 2022. The other one is the podcast equivalent of the Haters Ball, or just hanging out with me and Doug and you know Davini at the bar, where we're going to talk shit, crack jokes, and hand out our own special brand of superlatives for everything that I want on in our conference this season. It'll be a two-part roundtable special. I, like that's a lot of fun. We also have our free agency previews and recaps our draft class positional overviews, live shows from Western New York's bars with some of your favorite personalities and analysts. It's going to be a fun off-season. But luckily for us, it's not today. You know what next week is? And hopefully it's not next week. What's that, Chris? Our 500th episode. No, is it already? Yeah, next next week will be... Four ninety nine and five hundred. Wow! Now, I'm, I'm assuming you already have something planned. No, fuck that. I can't wait. I can't wait to record halfway to a thousand podcasts. Do you know what losers that makes us? No, we are experts at this, though. <laughs> what chugging beers and talking shit? Do you ever hear the microphones about the, football? No, the uh, ten thousand hour, ten thousand hours. I know about the road to a hundred. Vin Diesel talked about it in a shitty movie called Knockaround Guys. It's like you got to be in a hundred fights in order to be a tough guy. <laughs> Is it kind of the same thing? Ten thousand hours. Whose idea was that? Oh, was it the golf thing? We're like, oh, ten thousand hours, time on task before you can call yourself an expert. Yeah, it's <laughs> become being an expert. Okay. How many hours? I need you to come come loaded for bear and the uh, the 500th episode and tell be able to be ready and able to tell me how close we are to the 10,000 mark. That, I'm not going to figure that out. Well, uh, I know I know we've passed 10,000 hours doing uh, this. That's for sure. It's amazing. Yeah. What a time to be alive. Guys, I love you. Thank you for showing up each and every week reliably without fail it almost feels bad not to get to talk to those guys every week again oh we will in a month or two and it'll be like the first day of like elementary school where you're like oh my god i get to see my friends who i don't normally like hang out with or my parents won't drive me to their house (laughs) guys i love it but for tonight we gotta get the hell out of here i'm drew gear that's chris krueger and this has been your afc's roundup